Haggai chapter 2 and verse 9 says this, English Standard Version, the latter glory of this house shall be greater than the former, says the Lord of hosts, and in this place I will give peace, declares the Lord of hosts. Glory. Then again in Hebrews chapter 3 verse 6, but Christ is faithful, aren't you glad? Christ is faithful over God's house as a son. And we are his house, if indeed we hold fast our confidence and our boasting in our hope. We want to continue this morning what we began last week. And if you weren't here, you can always check out our videos on the, our YouTube channel and also our audio on SoundCloud. But God, what God wants for his house, he also wants for your house. He desires a church that is radiant. Oh, I like that word. Radiant with his glory. And he also intends that your residence should be a sanctuary for his presence. It should be not only that people would come here and say, oh, I, I could just feel the Lord here. It should feel this. They should say the same thing when they enter your home. Amen. He wants, God wants harmony in your household just as much as he wants unity in the body of Christ. So there is a correlation, a connection, a relationship between your family and the family of God. You know, we cannot have healthy churches with broken families. The church will never be stronger than the families that are represented here. We cannot have revival in the church without having restoration in your home. Are you listening to me? Praise the Lord. So it will not suffice. It will not be enough to have a vibrant, enriching church life if our family life is toxic and in disarray. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now you need to know something. God's presence does not manifest, it, 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 does not, it does not become real to us randomly, inexplicably, for no reason, all by chance. A lot of Pentecostals kind of think that, that it's a roll of the dice. You know, if we're lucky today, God will show up. No, no, that has nothing to do with luck, amen. If there is a river of life in this place, it flows from our hearts. We are the church. We are his house. You bring God's presence with you when you show up in this place. There's nothing special or mystical about concrete and bricks and, and iron rods. It's the people who usher in and release the presence of God and the peace of God in this house. Can I get an amen? Christianity is not a meeting. It's a life. It's not something we do for two hours on Sunday morning. It's a walk with him. 
Amen. So if you cannot take your religion, and I'm using that word in quotes, if you cannot take your religion home with you, it's not worth very much. If all we have is what we have here from 10 to 12, then we don't have very much. If that's all we have, then this is an escape from reality. But our God is not the God of fantasy. He is the God of reality. He wants more than just to, uh, to anesthetize you and, 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 and cause you to feel comfortably numb for a couple hours so you can forget your problems. He wants to be intricate, intimately involved with your life to change your life. We don't want to have wonderful services and terrible lives. Amen. Praise the Lord. So what we are in this place, we must also be outside of these four walls. What we do today, we must also do every day. We cannot be Sunday's Dr. Jekyll and Monday's Mr. Hyde. There has to be consistency we have to close the gap between knowledge and practice. Amen. God, God does not want us to come together only once a week to worship. And some people can't even do that. I said some people can't even do that. He wants us to be worshipers. I said he wants us to be worshipers. He wants us to be people of praise, people who have a song to the Lord in our hearts. Can you say amen? In Psalm 118, verse 15, it says, glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. Not sad songs, glad songs. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of of the righteous. You say, I don't live in a tent. Well, I think you're smarter than that. What kind of song is in your house? Well, I won't ask you. I'll just ask your colony. Amen. I'll ask your neighbors. Praise the Lord. Then again, Psalm 119, verse 62. Listen to this. At midnight, I will rise to praise you. A lot of people rise at midnight to go to the bathroom, but he said, I will rise at midnight to praise you. Glory to God. Some of you can't rise on Sunday morning to praise him. Is my microphone working? Then again, Psalm 63, verses 5 and 6. Listen to this. Psalm 63, verse 5 and 6. My mouth will praise you with joyful lips. When I remember you upon my bed... And meditate on you in the watches of the night. Friends, unless you're planning on sleeping in the church tonight, you're going to have to do this at home. I will meditate upon you while lying on my bed. In the middle of the night, I'm going to joyfully praise you. See, this is something the psalmist does at his house. This is something he does in his family. Praise the Lord. Then again, because it's too quiet here. Then again in Deuteronomy chapter 11, verse 18. Notice this. It would be good to turn there. Deuteronomy chapter 11 and verse 18. 
Notice this. You shall therefore lay up these words, these words of mine. God said this. These words of mine. You shall therefore lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. And some translations say store up. You shall store up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul. So when my wife goes to the market, she does not merely buy enough for that day. I realize there's some things maybe you have to buy more often than other things, but typically when she goes to town, when she goes to the store, she gets enough that will last us for several days in the future. And then in her kitchen, she has a section that's like a storeroom. So she puts those provisions there because she knows Johnny is going to want to have some Oreo cookies after his dinner tonight. Can I get an amen? And uh, so she prepares. She gets ready ahead of time. Don't wait until you have a crisis to store up God's word in your heart. Make preparations now by putting God's word in the storeroom of your spirit and in your soul. Smith Wigglesworth said, if you wait until you need faith to get it, you're too late. Get it now. Amen. Praise the Lord. Then you'll be prepared for any eventualities. You see? So what you're doing today is not for today. It's for tomorrow. Now, you might think, well, nothing coming my way. Going to go to work. Going to go to school. Uh, you know, going to do this, do that. No, 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 no. God can see your future better than you can remember your past. He might be preparing you for the storms that are heading your way sooner than you think. Amen. But notice that was verse 18. Let's go to the next verse, verse 19. You shall teach them, meaning the word of God, my words. You shall teach them to your children, talking of them when you are sitting in your house and when you are walking by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. So, no, it's not a trick question. Who shall teach your children the word of God? Covenant kids. Well, yeah, thank God for covenant kids, but you. It's real quiet in this Presbyterian church. I'm not talking to someone else. I'm talking to you. You shall teach your children. See, yes, send your, send your little ones to the children's ministry, to Sunday school. Send your teens to Argenics, you know. Send your singles to the Lonely Hearts Club. Do all those things. I'm just kidding. They don't like that. But that does not absolve you of your responsibility you have to teach those children the word of God. And when do you talk about the word? While sitting in your house. Come on, some of you can't even talk about God's word in this house. While sitting in your house. Woo. And what will be the result of this? Notice, we'll skip down to verse 21. This will be the result, that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied. Did you know God's a multiplier? God can count your days. 
I know God knows math and arithmetic. He's got a book called Numbers. <laughs> that your days and the days of your children may be multiplied. Multiplied. Not just added, multiplied. In the land that the Lord swore to give to your fathers as long as the heavens are above the earth. See, if, if days are multiplied, what does that mean? It means you and your family will live a long life. Live a long life. See, that's what God wants for you. Amen? Praise the Lord. So does merely hearing the word lengthen your days? Well, no, not exactly. You understand this. Israel, this is from Deuteronomy, Israel was under the law. So God wanted the Israelites to remember his commandments so that they would do them, so they would obey him, you see. Now, we're living under grace. We're not under the Old Testament law. We are living under the law of the spirit of life in Christ. And as we meditate on the word of God, faith takes root in our hearts. See, one reason people, uh, you know, don't have vibrant, strong faith is they don't spend enough time thinking about, talking about, pondering over God's word. And as we act on the word, we enjoy the benefits. Praise the Lord. So in other words, this principle from Deuteronomy is valid for us today. Now, the opposite of days being multiplied would be days cut short, you see. The opposite would be a short life. So what are some of the things, what in the natural realm, what are some of the things that would cause your life to be cut short, that a person would die prematurely? Now, God didn't say you're gonna live forever in this life, you see. He, he, he did say the number of your days I will fulfill. You know, when, you get, when you're 30 or something, you might say, I'm going to live to be 100. When you get to be 70, you might say, ah, 100, I'm not so sure about that. But, but you know what? He said, with long life, in Psalm 91, with long life, I will satisfy you. I don't believe that 30 is a long life. I don't believe that 40 is a long life. I definitely don't believe that 50 is a long life. I don't believe 60 is a long life. I don't even think 70 is a long life. That's okay but I think you should believe God for a long life. Why? So that you can be a greater blessing and make a greater impact in your generation. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. What are some of the things that cause a person's life to be cut short? Well, one of them is sickness. We all know that. Well, keep your finger in Deuteronomy 11, but notice this, Psalm 91, verse 9 and 10. Psalm 91 because you have made the Lord your dwelling place. It goes on to say, verse 10, no evil shall be allowed to befall you. No plague shall come near your tent. Let me read that again, because you, you're staring at me like you, you speak Chinese or something. Let me try this again. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, what will happen? No evil shall be allowed to befall you or come on you. 
and no plague shall come near your tent. Here is a marvelous promise. And really, by now, you should be dancing. Here is a, you should be shouting by now. Here is a marvelous problem. He said, no one, not just you, no one in your home will get sick. That's what he means. In other words, even a deadly pandemic will not affect your family. Praise the Lord. Wonderful promise. But there is a stipulation. There's a condition that must be met. Make the Lord your dwelling place. You know what that means? That means it's not enough for you to shelter in place. The Lord must be your refuge. He must be your protection. So there are some Christians who have not even left the house since March of 2020. So obviously, Obviously, this promise does not apply to them. I said, obviously, this promise does not apply to them. You must make the Lord your protection. Are you listening to me? You must make the Lord your refuge. In other words, you're trusting him to take care of you. Praise the Lord. Friend, hallelujah. If you're depending on on a little piece of cotton over your nose and over your lips to protect you, you may be disappointed. Everybody I know that got COVID wore a mask. You can wear one. I, that's up to you. I'm, I'm not telling you what to do. You do what you want to do. That's fine. That's fine. But if that's where your faith is, you may be disappointed. But God will not fail you. And either you believe the Bible or you don't believe the Bible. I'm not telling you not to wear a mask. I'm telling you, you need more than that. You need the protection that comes from heaven. And if you don't believe that, why are you here? Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. People say, Use hand sanitizer and stay safe. I say use heart sanitizer and stay saved. Amen. I'm I'm not telling you, you know, you have to wear. I had to go to the DTO last week, two weeks ago, and everybody's masked up, so they won't let me in without a mask on, you know. I'm I'm not opposed to that. I'm talking about what you believe, where your confidence is. Are you out there today? Another thing that shortens lives is accidents and calamities. True. Well, Psalm 91 again, notice verse 4 to 6. Psalm 91 again, verse 4 to 6. He will cover you with his pinions. Not pistons, pinions. What that means is like his feathers, his wings. It's figurative speech. God, I don't know that God has wings, but he means like a bird like a mother hen would, would protect her chicks or something. He will cover you with his pinions, and under his wings you will find refuge. His faithfulness is a shield and buckler. A buckler is a small shield. You will not fear the terror of the night. That means you'll be protected from terrorism. Ooh. 
nor the arrow that flies by day. We would say the bullets that fly by day. Nor the pestilence, that would be sickness, the pestilence that stalks in darkness. Of course, we're, here in, we're fortunate here in Nagaland that, you know, corona only comes out after 7 p.m., so that's good. Got some real smart people running the show, don't we? <laughs> nor the pestilence that stalks in darkness, nor the destruction that wastes at noonday. Woo! What does that mean? He'll be protected. He'll protect you from calamity. He'll protect you from accidents. He'll protect you from crime, that sort of thing. But whoa, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. All of these promises are for those I read verse four to six. All of these promises are for those who do, verse two. Again, there's a, there's a condition. There's a requirement. What does verse two say? In the time of trouble, I will say of the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust. I will say, not Pastor John, I, you, you will say, my Lord, hmm, my refuge, my fortress, my God, in him I trust. Now, if you're not saying that, it's because your storeroom is empty. You ran out of rice and vegetables a long time ago. <laughs> Are you listening? You're just eating little cockroaches you can find somewhere running around the kitchen. <laughs> You're not storing up the word of God. Faith comes by hearing God's word. Unbelief comes by watching CNN. That's the truth. Oh, but Brother John, that's, they're just telling us the facts. If you believe that, you're not very smart. They have an agenda. They are peddlers of fear. At least I'm being very honest with you. I'm not trying to pretend I'm something I'm not. I'm advocating for you to have faith in God's word. I'm not pulling any punches. I'm being very honest with you. That's exactly what I'm trying to do today. Hallelujah. Glory to God. When tragedy comes upon a Christian, when someone dies early in life, many people say, but I don't understand it. He was a Christian. He knew the word of God. He was a member of a wonderful church. But going back to Deuteronomy 11 again, verse 19, Deuteronomy 11 verse 19 does not say, it does not say, hearing these words of mine while sitting in the church. It says, talking of them while you are sitting in your house. And also wherever you go. Again, that promise does not say, listening to God's word while you're sitting in the church. Oh, that, that's good. And again, some people can't even do that. But it says more than that, talking about my word while you are sitting in your house. See, it's not enough to come to God's house. The same thing must be happening at your house. Oh, I can't do that. You're going to talk about something. Think how much time we've all wasted talking about the economy, politics, current events. Spend hours, just hours talking about it. And when it's all done, what has changed in your life? Nothing except now I feel really depressed. I didn't say you can't talk about things and current events. I didn't say you can't do that. But there's a big, 
vacancy. There's, there's, we're remiss. We need to be speaking God's word in our daily life. Amen? Praise the Lord. Now, we said your days will be multiplied like the days of heaven above the earth. I like what the King James Version says. This is one of those rare times where I really like the King James Version. And verse 21 says this, as the days of heaven upon the earth. Like the days of heaven upon the earth. So that means not only we have a long life, have a wonderful life. I mean, some people live to be 120, and they're pretty much, well, you know, miserable every one of those days. But you'll have a wonderful life. Hallelujah. So that means, that means if you'll live in the Word, your home can be like a little bit of heaven on earth. Let's be honest. Some people, their home is like a little bit of hell on earth. Some people, when they die and go to hell, they'll say, well, this is an improvement. Amen. Amen. Let it be said of your home what Balaam prophesied over Israel in Numbers 24, verse 5. How lovely are your tents, O Jacob. That that doesn't mean that they just have like a really nice place to live. Like, oh, isn't that a nice house? A three-story? That's not really what it means. There's just something wonderful, something beautiful, something pleasant to the soul about your home. It's not God's will for your home to be in turmoil any more than it's his will for the church to be in an uproar. I believe in lively services, not crazy services. Sometimes it seems a little crazy, but God doesn't want disruption, confusion, for God is not the author of confusion, but a peace. And if you notice, like, we have Holy Ghost meetings. We have, we're going to have one, you know, next, next Sunday ought to come. It can be, like, rambunctious and great things are happening. But even still, there's order there. If you notice, that there's a sense of divine order in all that, that we do. And it edifies. Hallelujah. Now, notice the scripture, and this is a good one for you to write down. Isaiah 32, 18. This is a powerful scripture. Isaiah 32, 18. My people. Are God's people here this day? Are, are, are God's people here this morning? My people will abide in a peaceful habitation, in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. Whew. Several years ago, I was in America during the summertime, uh, visiting my family, but more especially traveling to different churches. And at that particular time, I I think I was alone. I don't remember exactly the details. But uh, there was a knock on the front door of our house in the evening. And as I opened the door, there stood a young fellow, a young boy from the neighborhood. And he asked me if Ryan, who is my youngest son, he asked me if Ryan was at home. And I explained that Ryan was, you know, in India. Ryan was here in Nagaland. And this young fellow looked up to me, looked to me gravely disappointed. His lip kind of quivered a little bit and tears welled up in his eyes. And he muttered to something about things not being good at his house. So I was alone, but I invited him in to my house. And 
and I, and I and had him sit down, and I, and I chatted with him a little bit, and then I, I asked him, you know, it's, it's early evening. I said, have you had your dinner? And he, he said, no. And I said, well, I, I mean, I don't know how to cook anything. You know, you, don't ever come to my house if, if I have cooked the meal. You, I don't know that you have that much faith. I mean, I know it says that if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them, but I don't think you want to push that. So I don't know how to cook anything, you know. But there was some KFC chicken that we had bought, and so I warmed, I do how to use a microwave oven, so I warmed, <laughs> so I warmed that up, and I had a can of, you know, like, uh, not Coke, but Dr. Pepper like that, and I gave it to him, and, you know, we just chatted a little bit, and after a little while, I, I suggested, maybe we should call your mother. So, you know, he dialed the number, and after a bit, uh, he handed me the receiver, and, a, and a, a voice on the other end sounded very strained and said, um, I'm, I'm, I'm very sorry about this, but uh, she said, Dwayne, I think that was the name, Dwayne, who was the boy's stepfather, Dwayne is just acting bad. He's, she said, I think she said, he's acting like a jerk. And I, and I told her, well, I understood and that I would bring the little fella home. And then I reassured him that everything would be okay. That God would take care of him. That he would not be forgotten. And so I dropped him off at his house, and he walked in. A few weeks later, I, I saw him. He used to go by some funny uh, nickname. I don't know, what, something like Killer or something. like. I can't remember what it was, but something like that. And I said, hey, Killer. And he says, no, I, that's not my name anymore. You know, this is, it, it, call me by my, my real name, you know. And, and he had seemed changed to me. He was very cheerful. Well, that's not really a, like a, a big deal or something, a big story, but... Here's my point. When he was in trouble, why did he come to our house? He didn't live right next to us. He was on the other side of the neighborhood, the colony. And he didn't know Ryan very well. So why did he show up at my front door? Well, I don't know. But perhaps he saw that we lived in a peaceful habitation in secure dwellings, and in quiet resting places. My friend, your home should be a place, the place where people are running to, not running from. Hallelujah. Amen. That's what God wants for all of us. And you young people, maybe you're living with your parents right now or other relatives like that. One day, you know, you'll have your own home, your own family. Now's the time to store up these words in your heart. As I said last week, maybe, and I'm, I don't mean to be critical, but maybe you did not come from a good family, but a good family can come from you. Amen. Hallelujah. I want you to go this this time now with me, the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 12. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 12. Notice this verse. How can I bear by myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? How can I bear by myself the weight and the burden of you and your strife? That's what Moses was talking about. That's what Moses said about the Israelites, and that's also what many of you have said. That's what many husbands and wives and children are saying today. Strife. Strife is an angry and bitter disagreement. 
a quarrel, a dissension, or maybe a heated debate. And my point today is this. We, all of us, I'm not condemning anybody. I'm not being critical of anybody. We're all in the same boat. We all deal with the same issues. We must aggressively defend our home from strife. We must be vigilant against strife in our marriage and with our children. Because strife is dangerous. It's not okay. Strife divides people. It ruins relationships. God's spirit works in an atmosphere of peace. Did you know that? The spirit of God moves in certain atmospheres. We create that atmosphere with our praise, with our joyful expectation. Satan works in an atmosphere of strife. So strife is a trick of the enemy to capture us, to entrap us, to rob us of God's blessings. Are you listening to me? In Psalm 106, verse 32 and 33, it says this. They angered him at the waters of Meribah. Not Merbeni, but Meribah. They angered him at the waters of Meribah. And it went ill with Moses on their account. For they made his spirit bitter. And he spoke rashly with his lips. The Hebrew word Meribah means strife. Strife. A place of quarreling. There's a place, and you don't need that place in your family. No more Meribah. You need to get rid of Meribah from your house, from your dwelling, your house, your flat, wherever you, wherever you reside. Amen? Strife poisons the soul, and it makes life miserable. It would be better, it'd be better for us to have a humble meal with just a few vegetables and joy and peace than to kill the fatted ox in a home filled with strife. In other words, I'd rather, I'd rather live in just a simple little thatch house. I'd rather live under a bridge with the peace of God than live in the biggest house in Nagaland and every room is filled with contention and bitter anger and wrangling and hatred and division. There's a lot of things we can live without. We can live without cell phones. I know some of you think that's impossible. Listen, I did it for, for many, many years. You know, your, your grandparents never heard of such things. There's a lot of things we can live without. Here's one thing we can't live without, peace. Peace is not a luxury. Peace is oxygen. We have to have peace. You talk about peace, you're thinking politics. I talk about peace, I'm talking about your heart and your home. There will never be peace in Nogland if there's no peace in our homes. Are you listening to me? Because of strife, because of the strivings with the children of Israel, because of strife, Moses acted hastily without giving proper thought to his actions. And he spoke rashly. In his anger, he said something he shouldn't have said. And that means by the way, even if you're a great man of God like Moses, 
even if you've talked to God face to face, if, if you've been with him up on the holy mountain, you can still miss it. You can still make mistakes. And it cost Moses. Because of that, he never entered the promised land. I mean, he, he, he's the one his whole life has been all about Israel, delivering them from Egypt, bringing them through the wilderness, and then he himself could not enter into the promised land. Why? Strife. Strife. In other words, when other people are striving, you don't have to get into strife with them. When other people are quarreling and arguing and being contentious, you don't have to participate. You can abstain. Amen? Strife will prevent you from fulfilling your destiny and keep you from receiving your inheritance. Are you listening to me? We want to get rid of strife in our homes. Amen? Proverbs 12, verse 18 says this. There is one whose rash words are like sword thrusts. More damage is done with words than weapons because hurtful and harsh words cut into a person's soul. If you cut a man's arm, if you cut a child's arm, you know, it bleeds, it hurts, it, it's painful, but it can heal up. But if you cut into someone's soul, Maybe on the outside you don't see him bleeding, but he may carry those scars for a long time. See. Children who are raised in an atmosphere of strife suffer because of it. Just as secondhand smoke can cause cancer in those who breathe it in, so children who are routinely subjected to ugly quarrels and arguments, listening to that of their parents, are seriously affected by it. It steals their sense of security. It robs them of peace. It hurts them. I want to say this. Even if you and your wife are going at it and it's you know, not very pretty, be conscious of those kids. Maybe get in your car and drive, you know, 10 miles outside of town and then shout at each other. <laughs> because above all, you don't want to hurt those little kids. Are you listening to me? I said, are you listening to me? Hallelujah. Where does strife come from? Well, again, let's, we're in Proverbs. Let's, let's look at another verse. Proverbs 13, verse 10. I'll read this in the New King James Version. By pride comes nothing but strife. Now, when you're quiet like that, you look guilty. <laughs> By pride comes nothing but, you ought to say amen real loud. By pride comes nothing but strife. It is pride that insists on having the last word. She says something you don't like, so you say something. And then she doesn't like it, so she says something. And she walks off and you say, no, 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 no. You follow her and then you say something. And you walk off and she says, no, 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 no. And she follows you and she says something and it escalates. It's pride 
that is determined to demolish the person who disagrees with you. It, it stops being about an issue. It becomes personal. There's a problem and you just start attacking one another. Avoid saying words like always and never. You never listen to me. You always do what you always do. That's, that's, not, that's not dealing with an issue. That's a personal attack. And when you start hitting somebody, what do they do? They put up walls to defend themselves. And then they hide behind those walls. Are you listening to me? So you won the debate. <laughs> I sure told her. <laughs> I told him. But what have you gained by it? What have you proved? Only that you're arrogant. And remember that God opposes the proud. 1 Peter 5, 5. You know, it's kind of funny. When you're in that mode, you feel like everybody's against you. But actually, it could be God. I mean, if the devil comes against you, you can resist him and he'll flee from you. Try resisting God. He ain't going nowhere. What's the problem? Pride. Because God loves you, he will not be able to bless you in the way that you hope. Because pride is self-destructive. See, it shows humility when you consider another person's point of view. And obviously, I'm not very good at that sometimes. But it shows humility when, you know, your wife, your husband, you know, your, your, even your children say one thing. And you're like, no, you're wrong. I'm always right. And you are always wrong. Right? It takes humility to say, well, I believe I'm right. But, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe this person is right. Maybe I should consider their point of view. It happens to me all the time where Pastor Jeppy says, we should do this. And I say, nope, 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 nope. We're not going to do that. Nope, 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 nope. And later on, the Lord begins to deal with me and tells me, you know, you need to do that. So then I have to pretend like it was my idea. Hey, you know what? I've got an idea. <laughs> they look at you funny. That's what we just got through saying. It takes humility to admit you're wrong. And you know what? If you have a bad attitude, even if you're technically right about an issue, you're still wrong. Even if you're, you're right about that, that particular disagreement, that thing, if you have a bad attitude, if you have an arrogant attitude, a hostile attitude, you're still wrong. In fact, you're more wrong than you realize. Because in the grand scheme of things, probably that issue, it might be immaterial. Why did we get a divorce? Because he squeezes the toothpaste from the middle of the tube. That's why. <laughs> That's not why. Strife and pride. -hoo -hoo. I can't tell you how lonely I feel up here right now. <laughs> I better move on. Proverbs 10, verse 12. I'll read this in the New International Reader's Version. Hate stirs up fights. But love erases all sins by forgiving them. Woo. Isn't it funny, you know, when we're a student in school, we made a mistake on our term paper, we made a mistake on, you know, on something, and we'll erase it. Get out that rubber, you know, or maybe like some liquid paper, and we'll blot it all out and cover it all up. We're really good at erasing our own mistakes, 
but we're not very good about erasing others. Amen. When we get into strife with others, we are not walking in love. See, one reason people pick a fight with their mate is they still harbor resentment and unforgiveness in their heart. Aha, there you go again, just like last time. Now, I've forgiven you. No, you lying dog, you. If you had forgiven it, you wouldn't be bringing it up. <laughs> huh? Not to be unkind and not to get in trouble either, but some women carry like an invisible shopping bag with them. And whenever they're, you know, whenever it gets a little bit hot, a little bit contentious, they reach in and say, now, I remember this memory back in 1984. I remember what you said to me back then. I remember last Christmas, that cheap little gift you gave me. I remember the time it rained and you left me out there all, all dripping wet. They, they, it's amazing. I can't even remember what happened yesterday. They can remember like what happened decades ago. Aren't you glad the Lord doesn't do that to you? I said, aren't you glad God doesn't do that to you? Aren't you glad that when you pray, he says, no. you know, wait a minute, I remembered how last week, you know, you, you were angry and you said a bad word. And I remember two years ago, he doesn't do that. He says, their sins and their iniquities will I remember no more. So that means part of being godly is having Holy Ghost amnesia. I don't remember that. I don't remember that. Praise the Lord. Amen. If you want your home to be strife-free, you're going to have to erase some things from your memory banks. I don't remember that. I distinctly don't remember that. All right, let's move on. It's getting quieter and quieter and quieter and quieter. I may need to ride home. Uh, Proverbs 15, verse 18. A hot-tempered man stirs up strife, but he who is slow to anger quiets contention. So a hothead with a short fuse explodes at the slightest provocation. And that person is a walking time bomb. He's like a man wearing a suicide vest. Nobody feels completely comfortable around him. If somebody walked into this church with dynamite straight, uh, taped to their chest and sat down next to you, you would request the ushers, can I sit in the balcony? In fact, can I sit in the parking lot? Can I go home? <laughs> you would not feel comfortable being around someone like that. If we don't control our temper, we alienate the people who love us the most. Amen. But a peaceful person soothes the tensions in the room. A soft answer turns away wrath. Somebody says something a little uh, provocative, irritating, but you can answer with kindness. I hear and I understand. And that helps to bring, de-escalate the tensions. That's not being weak. It's being spiritual. It's being wise. Amen. Can we read another one? Yes, Pastor John, go ahead. All right, thank you. Notice this one, Proverbs 23, verse 29. Proverbs 23, verse 29. Who has woe? Who has sorrow? Notice this. Who has strife? I'm not asking you to raise your hand. I'm reading the Bible. The answer to that question is found in verse 30. Those who tarry long over wine, 
those who go to try modu. Many flames are fueled with alcohol. I've known many pleasant men who became monsters when they were lit up with booze. Amen. And it's better to stay sober than to continually say, I'm sorry. And it's easy to say, oh yeah, I'm, 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 you know, I'm not gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna put that away. I'm not gonna drink anymore. Then go ahead and get rid of that bottle. You don't need to hide it in your bedroom. You know, just in case. No, no, there is no just in case. It's real quiet now. That, now that scares me. <laughs> I've said this before. I'll say it again. When my dear pastor got saved, he said his refrigerator got saved too. No more beer in his refrigerator. I'm not coming to your house today, but the Lord already knows. So, so you want to have a strife-free home, right? And this is a very common problem. Uh, you know, not you, but you know, all those people you're thinking about right now. So you don't need that. You don't need that in your life. Amen? There's nothing spiritual about strife. Galatians 5.20 calls this the works of the flesh. Well, what's the answer? Well, Galatians 5.16, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. So in other words, walk by the Spirit, and you won't get into strife. Amen? Let Christ's nature in your spirit override your fallen human nature. Why is there so much strife in our homes? It's convenient to blame the devil, but in reality, it's because God's people are more carnal than they realize. I don't care how many scriptures you know. I don't care if you can speak in tongues upside down backwards. It don't matter. When you're in strife, that's not very spiritual. And there's nothing funnier than seeing two people get into strife and argument over some theological point. Amen? What does that prove? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to finish with this. I don't, some of you are now in strife with me. <laughs> We're all together now, okay? I want you to notice this. Genesis chapter 13, verse 7. Genesis 13 and verse 7. I'm, I'm coming to the straightaway. Now I'm getting ready to cross the finish line with you. Genesis 13, verse 7. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of Lot's livestock. So that means even in Abraham's day, people had strife. So this is not a uniquely Naga situation. You can't say, well, it's because, you know, I'm from this tribe. No, no, it goes back to the Garden of Eden. <laughs> Amen. Abraham and Lot were so prosperous, they did not have room enough to receive all of God's blessings. Now, that's a good problem to have, by the way. And actually, that's what God wants to do in your life, that there's not room enough to receive it. Amen? But notice, in their prosperity, they had a problem. They had a problem. There was strife. Let's read verse 8 and 9. Then Abram said to Lot, Let there be no strife between you and me, and between your herdsmen and my herdsmen. For we are kinsmen. Is not the whole land before you? Separate yourself from me. 
if you take the left hand, then I will go to the right. Or if you take the right hand, then I will go to the left. Now, see, that's interesting. Abraham did not merely say, hey, 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 come on, come on, come on, come on, taba, 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 taba. We shouldn't, we shouldn't get into strife. Come on, come on, come on, come on. Oh, yeah. <laughs> let's, come on, come on, let's just try, let's, no more strife. Abraham realized there was a legitimate problem. And so he offered a solution to fix the problem. Guarding against strife does not mean muzzling each other. It doesn't mean you go get some dendrite and put it on their lips. That doesn't mean, that's not how you solve the problem. When you just silence each other, then instead of having a regular fight, you have a cold war. Where there's this cold, stony silence. You may not have strife in your words, but your eyes are killers. So, so f- try to find the source of contention and try to work out an amicable solution. My wife and I used to have a difficulty whenever she went shopping. Am I alone here? <laughs> it was just not pleasant for either of us. I don't know, men and women have a different viewpoint on shopping. I go to buy something and I go home. She just wants to be there. (laughs) And she would say, we're gonna go buy a dress, okay? And I'm thinking dress, dress, dress. And as we're on the way to look at the dresses, she would say, oh, earrings. And she'd wander off and I'd say, whoa, wait a minute, where are you going? That's not part of the plan. And then I'd never see her again for like long time. I'm wandering through the ladies' department, the girdles and the bras, and going, have you seen my wife? People are looking at me funny. What are you doing here? <laughs> so this was back in the 90s. We didn't have cell phones. So I tried, like Abraham, I tried to find an amicable solution to our problem. I bought two walkie-talkies. <laughs> I did. I bought two walkie-talkies, you know, little, little two-way radios. So I would say... <laughs> 10-4, come in, come in. Papa Bear, Mama Bear, are you there? Come in. Shh, shh, shh. And she would say, this is Mama Bear. Read you loud and clear. <laughs> Meeting you at the rendezvous point at 0900, 0900, over and out. Roger that. You know, we, but it sounds silly, but we, we, we talk to each other, and, you know, maybe that's why we're still married today. I don't know, but it... <laughs> We, I tried, it, it wasn't a perfect solution, but I tried to find an answer to our problem. Amen. Praise the Lord. Glory to God. So Abraham realized that he and his nephew just needed more space for their cattle. And Abraham graciously allowed Lot to choose the land he wanted first. That was so nice of him. I mean, after all, he's the covenant guy, right? He's the one that's heard from God. Who's this guy? He's my nephew, but he let him go first. You choose. If you go here, then I'll go there. If you do the opposite, I'll do that. And not surprisingly, Lot looked over the landscape, and he saw the well-watered Jordan Valley, green and lush, and he said, I believe the Lord is sending me here. (laughs) 
Now, by the way, I need to say something. Don't think too hard. Don't misinterpret this message. I'm not telling you, ah, say to your spouse, okay, you go here and I'll go there. You go to Kohima, I'll go to Nemapur. That, that's not the point. The point is he found a solution to their problem. Just need to clear that up. Praise the Lord. Amen. So there was a practical, a practical answer. And Abraham didn't despise Lot. In fact, through Abraham's prayers, Lot was rescued from judgment, you see. Lot took the best, which left Abraham with the not-so-best, the dry, arid desert. Being kind and considerate of others may seem like you're getting a bad deal, kind of a bad bargain here. But soon as Lot left, God said to Abraham, look around, north, south, east, and west. Everything that you see, I'm going to give that to you your offspring forever. In other words, God took care of him, and he'll take care of you as well. Would you stand with me to your feet today? Praise the Lord.